chapter 26. Continuing with acts of Yeshua's emissaries, the Shalakim, his called out ones. Isn't it beautiful to know that God's word is truth and in it is hope? Blessed be the name of the Lord. We'll begin at verse number one, but we'll be going deeper in verse number eight. Agrippa said to Shaul, you have permission to speak on your own behalf. Then Shaul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate that it is before you today that I'm defending myself against all the charges made against me by the Jews. Because you are so well informed about all the Jewish customs and controversies, therefore I beg you to listen to me patiently. So then, all Jews know how I've lived my life from my youth on, both in my own country and in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time, and if they are willing, they can testify that I have followed the strictest party of our religion. That is, I've lived as a parush, a Pharisee. How ironic it is that I stand on trial here because of my hope of the promise made to our fathers. It is in the fulfillment of this very promise that our 12 tribes hope to attain as they resultly carry on their acts of worship both night and day. Yet it is in connection with this hope, your majesty, that I'm being accused by the Jews. Why do you people consider it incredible that God raises the dead? Think about that. Where would you and I be today that when that person came to us and shared for the very first time that Messiah Yeshua, Christ Jesus, died on the tree, the execution stake, that cross, and then after three days, he rose from the dead. You and I wouldn't be here right now. We'd just be going about our daily lives with no hope. But knowing this, the moment that you recognize both the death and resurrection of Messiah, then God had the emphasis then for our sins to be forgiven once we went through a time of repentance. And then the blood was applied upon us. And our sins were forgiven. See, the crux in this lay before these individuals he's speaking to who have veils over their eyes. They have to make a decision. They have to cross this line. And the line says this. I accept Yeshua's death upon that tree and his resurrection in my place. So I can now be reconciled unto God the Father. How many of us have gone to that line and had to cross? 
See, it's more comfortable to stand on the other side of that line, is it not? To be accepted by family and friends. But once you make that step across, there truly is no turning back. Because in the spirit of the living God dwells within us. And so Rav Shaul, as we go deeper, why do you people consider it incredible that God raises the dead? There's a tendency among biblical scholars to regard Yeshua's resurrection not as an event in the variable. Variable. That means a fact. History, but as a subjective event as a realm of faith. What do the Muslims teach? Yeshua simply fainted. And then they took him off the cross. And they healed his wounds. And he continued to live. And then he disappeared. Going forward. But as subjective events in the realm of faith, this is not the biblical, the Bible's approach at all. This is a continuation of last week's message. On the Areopagus, Shaul presents Yeshua's resurrection as a capstone of his case for the truth of the good news. And we read these scriptures the last time, but I won't read them today. The reference points are Acts chapter 17, verses 19 through 31, and also 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you remember last Shabbat, we took time. We read through every one of those verses. In the first portion, it was there where Rav Shaul was in Athens, Greece. And I'll simply summarize this. He was standing before pagan people who did not have the background of the Tanakh. Yeah, but Rabbi Frank, why didn't Rav Shaul simply pull out the Brit Hadashah? Because it hadn't been written yet. So the scriptures that he would normally share with them were not available to him in the sense that his audience would not be able to ascertain what he was even talking about. And so he spoke from their culture. He looked at all these different idols that were around him and he said to the one unknown God and then from that he proclaimed the good news and told him that now is a time for them to receive this one who is raised from the dead. And some of them began to scoff, some of them separated themselves from him, but others they received the hope of the resurrection. How many of us have buried loved ones or friends? What is your hope when you place their body, which is a seed, into the ground? That one day that body will be raised from the dead. That is incorruptible. To live forever. So, Going now to 1 Corinthians 15, he goes and he uses the Tanakh as a background. There are many references in the Tanakh in chapter 15, but also he 
he reveals a mystery that not all of us will die. And in a moment and twinkling of an eye, we shall all be changed. Those that are in the grave shall raise up who put their trust in Messiah. And us instantaneously, in a twinkling of an eye, we will be transformed into our brand new eternal body. And he goes on to say many things about if the resurrection is too not true, then we are to be the most pitied of all people. So there's a quick summary. Let's continue now. So he blends now, it's spelled K-E-R-Y-G-M-A, kerygma. The proclamation with apologia proof. By offering a list of eyewitnesses and testimonies, the eventual fact of the resurrection. In his stand before Agrippa and Festus, he not only assumes that these sin-blind sinners can indefinitely arrive at the factuality of the resurrection. That's why the statement is this, why should it be the thought a thing incredible to you? that God should raise the dead, but also appeals to a common ground of evidential knowledge. For King Agrippa understands these matters. He was there. It's undeniable proof. He cannot call the high priest or any of the members of the ruling class or religious leaders in the Sanhedrin to say, this is a lie, is it not? He doesn't waste his time because they have never followed, found the body of Messiah up to this very day. Proof of his resurrection and that he was seen by many of those who knew him for those three years. At one time, up to 500 individuals, he appeared before them alive in his glorified body. So going forward here. So he says, I express to him freely because I'm sure that none of these things have been hidden from him. After all, they did not happen in some back alley, as verse 26 says. Messianic believers' faith is not blind faith or trust. It is grounded in fact. Is your faith today, your trust in Yeshua, Is it based in fact? Or as I shared earlier about those pastors who do not have a biblical worldview, is it on the world's perception? To talk about a real but unprovable resurrection is as foolish as to talk about other spiritual resurrections. They are cop-outs, sincere, certainly but terribly harmful in an age of longing to hear meaningful affirmation. You know what that is? That Messiah has raised from the dead. Anyone that you would come across 
that would be the words that you need to share with them. Do you realize that God sent his son to live and to die upon a cross and that he was raised from the dead? Now, what's your opinion on that? That's the question to ask them. And either they will reject or walk away or you'll plant that seed of the good news in their heart. Because when that word, when that word is proclaimed, how many times in the past have you preached the word of God so those seeds in the hearts and minds of people and have not seen the produce of them coming into the kingdom. See, that's not your and my work. Our work is to do what? But to simply proclaim the good news. So think now back to Rav Shaul. He's standing before those who have power and authority to snuff his life out at a simple thumbs up or thumbs down. But he's not afraid. Because he feels the love and compassion of God the Father in him. Do we possess the love and compassion of God the Father for the lost today? If it's not there, then our relationship and our intimacy with the Lord, his Father, and the Ruach is not as it should be. Because that's the great commission for us to go and proclaim the good news to everyone. Honestly, can we say, are we about our Father's business? So now let's go back to Acts chapter 26, verse 9. I used to think that it was my duty to do all I can combat the name of Yeshua from Nazareth. And in Jerusalem, I did so. After receiving authority from the head Kohenim, I myself, through many of God's people, and who were they? Messianic Jews. Jewish people who put their trust in Messiah into prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. F. F. Bruce, he paraphrases Parush. Though I was, and thus in theory, a believer in the resurrection of the dead, I judged it incredible in this particular case and thought it my duty to oppose such heresy. Then adds, in later years, Shaul Paul thought himself unfit to form any judgment by himself. Where is that found? But in 2 Corinthians 3, 5. I cast my vote against them. This phrase taken literally cons- cons- constitutes evidence that Shaul was one, one-time member of the Sanhedrin. Acts chapter 7, verse 58. Acts 8, 11. Acts 23, 1. Galatians chapter 1, verse 14. And so going back now to Acts chapter 26, verse 10. And in Jerusalem I did so after receiving authority for the head Koinim, I myself threw many of God's people, Messianic Jews, into prison, where they were put to death, and I cast my vote against them. 
often I went from one synagogue to another. Notice, he's not going to Roman Catholic churches. He's not going to evangelical free churches. He's not going to Baptist churches. Why? Because they do not exist. Your Christianity is an engrafting into the commonwealth of Israel. Salvations of the Jews. Yeshua is the king of the Jews. He's coming back as the king of the Jews. But you who have been grafted in have become what? Spiritual Jews. He has circumcised your hearts. And your co-equals with us who are natural born Jews. Who have given our hearts and had our hearts too circumcised by Messiah. Jews and Gentiles, one and the same. This has to be, be clarified. Verse 11, Often I went from one synagogue to another, punishing them, the Messianic Jews, and taking them, trying to make them blaspheme. And in my wild fury against them, I even went so far as to persecute them in cities outside the country. See, his zeal has no end. Have you had times in your life as a believer where your zeal had no end and the Lord had to draw you back? I shared this example many years ago and the Lord brought it back to my memory now. I used to walk the streets of Minneapolis at 2 and 3 and 4 in the morning, handing out tracts and having a Bible in my hands. One particular night, I was running down an alley. Who was I pursuing? A young Afro-American man. Because I wanted, out of my zeal, to give him this track that shared about how he can come to know Messiah. As I got closer to him, Sure, terror was in his eyes. He pulled out a knife. And just as he pulled out the knife, he was standing in the light. And I came out of a darkened alley towards him. And he saw a tract with an image of what some people believe Jesus looks like, Yeshua, that said these words, I love you. And he said, man, are you nuts? You know what time it is? It's early in the morning. He said, think of it from my perspective. He then put away his knife. And he said, I'm an Afro-American man. And you're a white man. And think of what time it is. It's dark and you're running after me? What do you think's going through my head? He said, I'll take the track from you, but let you learn a lesson. My mom has been praying for me. My grandma has been praying for me. But brother, your life could have been ended tonight. Learn to have wisdom and knowledge. I've never seen that. Guys, from that time he took the track, he walked away, we parted ways. And I was in total shock. Because out of my zeal to serve the Lord, I was doing it according to my own flesh. 
So this is kind of the illustration where Rav Shaul was. Because he truly believed that he was serving Abba, Father, God. Because this new upstart group, the Nusrim, the followers of the Yeshua from Nazareth, he truly believed that they were leading uh, everyone astray. And that's why Yeshua himself had to descend and reveal himself to Rav Shaul. Because out of his zeal, there was no one on this earth that could convince him that Yeshua is the promised Messiah, but the Messiah himself. Praise be to God. We're going to end right now. Blessed be the name of the Lord.